about my small group. We are still meeting tonight if you had a question about that, and we'll be at Stropke's. Uh, the other thing uh, that I've been asked about is the uh, search for our associate pastor, and I am waiting on one more person to let me know if they're willing to serve on our search team, and once I hear from them, uh, we will announce that to you, and we'll probably call everybody up here and pray for them and commission them as a church and uh, that should be within the next week or so. So, again, if you have questions, uh, continue to come and ask me about that. I've received already a couple of resumes through TEDS, um, our denominational seminary and my alma mater. And, and what I've seen so far uh, is has been good. And so I feel that we are in a place where we can get a really good uh, quality person to come here. So again, as you have questions, uh, please do not hesitate to come and talk to me. And uh, as we progress in the process, we will constantly be updating you on that. So again, we want to be very transparent in the process and answer any questions or concerns you might have. So with that being said, let's turn to Psalm 119. If you're using... If you're using one of the Bibles and the chair backs in front of you, uh, it's going to be on page uh, 513. To get our minds thinking this morning, I want you to think about how watched you are. I want you to think about this digitally. All you have to do is really type someone's name into Google and you can find out a lot about somebody. What's even better is if you have a city that they're from, you can find out things like their age, who's in their family, and even pictures of that people. I actually did this to somebody in the quite recent past. Um, when our sister church down there in Freeland, uh, Christian Life Center, was calling a new pastor, I saw on their website that he had preached one Sunday and I knew he was from Texas. And so I typed in his name and Texas, just into the internets. And I found his Twitter feed. So I found out who he was quoting, who he was reading, what he said, because he would put his own words out there. I found his Facebook page where I could see pictures of him and his family. And I even could find um, his church website where he was working. And then I could go there and find out even more. And so... Information's out there. <laughs> For those of us who've grown up more in this digital age and have tried to find jobs in the digital age, you know that companies and employers will search for you. And so you better be careful what you post. In fact, colleague, <laughs> amen. Um, that's a whole other sermon. Maybe, I, that, maybe that can just be one. Be careful what you post. But... <laughs> But, but they even tell college students that colleges will look at your social media to see what really the type of person you are. Now you add that on top of the fact that sometimes our island here can feel, can feel real small town, can it? You know, I, I, I feel that, you know, you walk and you meet somebody that, you know, that they're related to half the island, 
I often joke that, you know, with like the Stevenson family, you need a flow chart, you know, that <laughs> just to keep track of everybody. Oh, you're actually their third cousin, twice removed, Niner. Um, I even remember somebody from the search team telling me that they ran into somebody that they knew who didn't go to this church on the ferry, and the person knew that I was coming to candidate, and they knew that I was some young whippersnapper. (laughs) Word gets around. We are seen by so many people. And just going out into the grocery stores and into our jobs, we are surrounded by people. And we're being watched. Now, some of this is because people need better hobbies than watching other people. Some of it... (laughs) Some of you just got elbowed. That was awesome. But... (laughs) Some of it is just that necessity of of living in a community and and using the stores and the gas stations and all that sorts of things. But some of it is that we were created to be watched. That believers in Jesus were created to show him to those around us. And so the, the question then becomes... Who are you going to be and how are you going to act when everyone's watching? Because you will be watched. How are you going to live out in public in a way that glorifies God? And so our big idea this morning, if you're following along in your outline on the back of the bulletin there, is God created us to live blameless lives that glorify him to all people. Norm, go ahead and throw up verse 80 for me. This, is, this verse is going to help us understand this big idea. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. May my life be a godly and holy and blameless life that glorifies God to the people who are watching, by all the people around me. So again, our big idea, God created us to live blameless lives that glorify him to all people. So let's hop back to verse 73 here, because the first thing that we need to see, and again, it's, it's, it's a basic assumption that we often make, is that we are created by God. Look at verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. And the first thing that we understand, because this is a central and essential truth that we believe as followers of God and his word, that we are not what randomly popped out of ooze, but that we are created by God. And the first thing that means is that we all have innate worth. Every life is precious to God because he created it. You do not have worth because of how useful you are to society or how useful you are to me 
or how useful you are to other people. It's not your work. And, and this is, by the way, something we screw up a lot, is we think that if I do something, then I can have things, and that'll give me worth. But no, just being created by God gives you priceless worth. And so we care for all people because all people are created by God. But we don't stop there. We're not just created and that's it, but that we are also created with a mission. That being created by God gives us purpose because God gives us the purpose that he created us for. You were created for a reason. You were created for a mission. Let me point you to two, two scriptures. First one, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And, and being created by God, being created in his image, one of the things that means is that we are his representatives on earth. We are ambassadors to the king. Our job is to do what he wants us to do. Our job is to glorify and point back to the God who created us. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That you were created to do good. And earlier, last week we saw that God is good and he does good. And we're called to do the same thing. God created you to do that. God gave you everything you need to do that. You've got a mission. And that mission is God's mission, what God wants. So what, what does that mission look like specifically? That, that as God's representatives... We are to point people to God. We are to show God to others. But how do we do that? Well, the first thing I want us to see, and you'll see this is number two in your outline there, is that we were created to build up fellow believers. That we were created by God... And that gave us a mission. And one part of that mission is to build up fellow believers. Let's first look at verse 74. Those who fear you, again, we've seen that phrase before. That means those who believe in God, those who worship God, those who are God's people. 
Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. Why? Because I have hoped in your word. And so one way that we are to build up fellow believers is that we are to be an example of godly hope. And I want you to think about this because there's an assumption here that we often skip over in that how you live affects the other people in your life. And sometimes we just don't want to believe that. We want to think that what I do is my business and everybody can just, you know, leave me alone. But the assumption of the Bible is that how you live, how you relate to God, how you worship God, how you obey God affects others. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice. I just want you to marinate on that one for a second, that he is living in such a way that he brings joy to other people. How often do we take joy away from people by how we live? I mean, when was the last time somebody said to you, you know, I saw what you did here and it just made me joyful? Now, that's a high standard. But it's the standard that God calls us to. It's a standard of holiness. It's a standard of godliness and a recognition that people are watching. And I need to not tear them down with how I live, but that even how I live would build them up in their own faith and hope. And that begins with with caring about the faith and hope of others. I'm not going to care how I live in front of others if I don't first care about them. And notice, this particular verse is directed to other believers. We're going to get to unbelievers in a second. Hold on. But right now, we're looking at believers. And do you live among your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that builds up their faith in Jesus? Because that's what we're called to. That every decision you make, every interaction you have with them does not tear them down, but builds them up. That's a big job. That's a lifelong job. That's a job that you can never say, well, check that one off this past Sunday. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) And another part of this, because here's another question that I have. Have we isolated ourselves so much from other believers that they never even see how we live? talked about that a couple weeks ago, that there's so much pressure from our culture just to be isolated and, 
do my own thing and just care about my own stuff. But this is the community that God calls us to. That we don't isolate ourselves from our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we actually are doing life together. That we actually know them. That our lives can actually affect them because we're actually living around them. And it's a lot easier not to do that. But God doesn't call us to the easy things, does he? It's a lot easier to just live in a way and not care how people react to it. It's a lot harder to say, okay, I need to think about how my actions will affect others. That's a lot harder. But again, that's what we're called to. Not only are we to be an example, though, we are to build one another up by sharing God's word. Look at verse 79. Let those who fear you, again, there's that phrase. Again, he's speaking to fellow believers. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. Again, sometimes in the Christian life, there is a temptation to do one or the other. One is be an example, and the other is to to teach and to share the gospel with one another. And we like to say, well, I do this one, so I don't have to do the other one. (laughs) And it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to do one and not the other. But again, guess what? We're not called to the easy thing. We are called to, yes, give that godly example, but we are also called to teach God's word to one another. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. That we are called to share God's word with one another. We're not just friends because we like each other and we have similar hobbies and we have the same opinions. But our relationships are there to benefit one another. To confront one another with the word of God. Sometimes with comfort and sometimes with conviction. This, this is calling us to, to deeper conversations. This is calling us to conversations around the gospel, not just the weather and the Seahawks. Although those are excellent topics. Everyone fill in your own Ohio joke there. All right. Um, But again, there's a complexity here to our relationships. There's a deepness of relationship here. There's an authenticity here that goes beyond just sitting next to one another on Sunday morning. We're called to live together and we're called to speak truth into the lives of one another. And none of that happens if we isolate ourselves from the body of Christ. 
This is one of the reasons that when I see people persevere in their faith over the long haul, they are connected to a local body of Christ. Partly because you weren't created to be in isolation. I can't fulfill this purpose in my life to build you up if I don't even know you. And you can't do the same to me. Again, as we are being watched, as we interact with one another, we need to be concerned with building up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, both in our actions and in our words. But it doesn't stop there in this psalm. Not only are we to glorify God in our lives to other believers, but we're also called to glorify God in our lives to those who do not know Christ. So number three there on your outline, that we are created to show God's glory to all. Look at verses 75 to 78. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. The psalmist is helping us understand this, that in every circumstance of life that we find ourselves, in every circumstance, we are to glorify God to all people. And in these verses, he gives us four particular circumstances that that represent a a full-orbed view of life, the good and the bad. And he's saying in all of these, at every time, glorify God in what you say and do. Let's look at the first one. That we are created to show God's glory to all in affliction. Look at verse 75 again. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So here's what he's saying, that that when he is afflicted, and the affliction, by the way, comes from God, that God is afflicting him for some purpose. And again, we've talked about this before, that there are different reasons that we find ourselves under affliction, right? Sometimes it's because of, of sin in our lives and God afflicts us to turn us to repentance. Sometimes it's the fact that we live in a fallen world and our whole existence is affected by sin and so we, we, we come under affliction. But in all of it, we've said that if God can work through affliction, he can work through anything. Again, again, my metaphor of if I can lift 50 pounds, I can lift 10 pounds. 
So if God can work through affliction, he can work through anything. And the psalmist recognizes, the psalmist recognizes that God is working through affliction in his life but that he's experiencing affliction. And when he's experiencing affliction, people watch. But what does he do? What does he do in the affliction? Look at the first part of verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. When he is confronted with pain, and affliction. He trusts the justice and the righteousness of God. That, that when we experience pain and affliction and the dark times in our lives and people are watching, we need to focus on who God is. We need to focus on that he is just and will keep his promises. We, we focus on that he is faithful to his promises and that he is trustworthy even in the affliction. Look at the seven part, second part of verse 75. And that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Instead of focusing on the affliction, he focuses on God. On the God who will sustain him in the midst of affliction. On the God who promises hope and release from that affliction either in this life or the next. And when we glorify God to all people, because they watch when we're in pain, are we going to glorify God or are we going to get swallowed up by the affliction? Because when we are in trouble, we will show where our trust is. When we're in trouble, we will show where we think we can find relief. So the psalmist is telling us, when you are in trouble, when you are in pain, go to God and trust Him. Find your hope there. Because that will bring glory to God. Not only in bad times, but in the good times. Look at verse 76. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Only in God do we find comfort. God is the source of life in the midst of trials and pain and affliction. And again, when you, when you are experiencing the comfort of God, people are watching. And they'll see where you go for comfort. Are you going to go to substance abuse? Are you going to go into the arms of someone not your spouse? 
Are you going to find comfort in your stuff and your money? Or are you going to seek comfort in the God who loves you and cares for his people? Verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me. Let your unfailing love comfort me. Because again, when we experience the hard times, people are watching where we go for comfort. And we need to go to God for comfort because he is the only one who gives real comfort. We also glorify God in how we understand his mercy. Look at verse 77. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Again, we define mercy as as God's kindness, his compassion, his giving us what we don't deserve. That we as sinful people rely on the compassion and mercy of God. Every blessing I have comes through his mercy. And that changes how you live. People will see if you're entitled. If you think you deserve everything you got. If you think, you know, that God is just lucky to have me because I is awesome. But do you understand the mercy of God? That everything you have is from him. That changes how you view your stuff. That changes how you view the good things in your life. People are not just watching you in the hard times, but they're watching you in the good times. How do you handle success? Do you view success as the mercy of God? Because that'll change how you respond to success. And people, people can see it. The way that glorifies God is not to view that success is, is earned or everything I have I deserve, but rather every good and perfect thing I have is from above. And that glorifies God. And lastly, that we glorify God to all people in persecution. Look at verse 78. Let the insolent or the arrogant be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. What do you do when you're attacked? What do you do when you face persecution, whether from a neighbor or an employer or just some random guy on the street? Again, what a time that people are watching. They see someone attack you. They see someone you treating you unfairly. What are you going to do next? It's like when you watch an NBA game and 
They always call the foul on the second guy, right? You know what I'm talking about. The first guy sort of gives a little shoulder, and then the other guy just whacks him across the face. That's the guy that gets the foul. People watch the second guy, and we're the second guy. So how are you going to react when attacked? What's the author do? Look at verse 78. They have wronged me with falsehood. He is attacked. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. It's almost like the author doesn't give his attackers the time of day. It, it, it's like he's saying, you want to attack me? Great, I'll, I'll be over here reading my Bible. That's how little the author thinks about those attacks. That's how little it matters because what really matters is knowing God and his word. And and if we are attacked, it is so easy for that to just consume our lives and our thoughts and our emotions that everything we think of is that person who treats us like a jerk. But don't, don't fill your head with your attacker. Don't allow them to run your life because they're making your life miserable. And I'm not downplaying how miserable someone can make your life. But when your life is made miserable by someone because they are attacking your faith or attacking you personally or attacking your family or whatever other attack they want to have out there, don't let them control your life. Because people will see that. They'll see the bitterness creep in. They'll see the anger towards that person that just builds and builds. When we're consumed by our attackers, we do not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. When we meditate and spend time and devour God's Word, the attackers lose their power. Because we're not being influenced by them. We're being influenced by God and his word. And that's something people will notice. People will see that that person is being a jerk. But more often than not, they're going to see how you respond. And are you going to respond in a way that glorifies God? Are you going to respond in a way that is blameless and holy? Are you going to respond in a way that reflects positively on your Savior? Because the world is watching. In all these circumstances, We are called to a blameless life that doesn't give honor to us, but gives glory to God.
Because in all of this, there's a bigger principle behind it. That again, we were created to bring glory to the God who created and saved us. There's something bigger in your life than just what people think of you and your reputation. How you act affects their reputation of Jesus himself. We're called to something bigger. We're called to something better. We're called to something harder, but we're called to something glorious. That your life is not your own, that my life is not my own, but that my life is to glorify the God of the universe. We are called to represent our Savior in everything we do, in everything we experience. That we have a mission to glorify God as we share the gospel with all people and as we live it out in front of all people. Again, friend, this, if, if you want something easy, just don't pay any attention to this. But if you want something better, meditate on this. We are called to live out our faith in word and in deed so that people see Jesus and put their trust in him. Matthew 5:16 says it this way. This is Jesus speaking. In the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God created us to live blameless lives that glorify him to all people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are calling us to fulfill the purpose for which you created us. God, that we would take seriously that we are your representatives, your ambassadors in this fallen world, and that in what we say and do would glorify you and make disciples of Jesus Christ. God, that we would, through what we say and do, build up our brothers and sisters in Christ, that this would be a community that causes growth in each of us as we seek to be more and more like Jesus. And God, that as we are out in the community, that in every circumstance we find ourselves, that we would proclaim Jesus Christ crucified for your glory. And that we wouldn't just live for ourselves, but that we would live for the mission you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.